Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled Cops and Hookers, takes us to Dallas, Texas, where my crew and I are installing a series of large bronze history reliefs in the plaza in front of the new police headquarters. Meanwhile, back at our motel, there are some shady deals afoot. Cops and Hookers It's the spring of 2003, and my crew and I have arrived at the Super 6 Motel in Dallas. We've flown in from New York City to inset six of my bronze relief collages in the front plaza of the new police headquarters. The pressure is on immediately because we're behind schedule as soon as we get off the plane. The contractor for the plaza has lied to us about his part of the work being complete. When we learn what we have yet to do, we realize we're impossibly behind schedule to have the work completed by the grand opening unveiling ceremony. As we carry our suitcases and gear up the exterior stairs to our rooms on the second floor, I notice a pink cooked shrimp curled in the usual capital C shape on one of the steps. I point it out to my crew and say, not a good sign. Everyone looks down at it and laughs. Then we split up and walk to our adjoining rooms. As I enter mine, I notice a woman's fake eyelash on the floor, curled in the same C-shape and about the same size as the shrimp. I can't help but call my guys back. I repeat, not a good sign, to the little circle of men as I point down to the eyelash. One of my guys responds, I beg to differ. It could be a good sign, depending upon what she looks like. As they laugh again, a couple of attractive women appear in my open doorway. One is wearing tight satin hot pants and the other a very short skirt, and both wear a wide smile and a big show of their cleavage. Hi, boys. Just wanted to let you know we're around if there's anything we can do for you. The guys all perk up, but I put an end to the exchange when I respond resolutely, We're good, thanks. As they leave, one of them calls back over her shoulder, Well, we're always around if you need us. As I settle in, there's another knock at my door, and standing there is yet another scantily clad woman offering her services. Then, when I meet the guys downstairs for drinks, they also report that they too have had multiple offers. Annoyed, I leave them at the bar while I head for the motel office to complain. No one is behind the front desk when I walk in, but there is a Dallas motorcycle cop lounging nearby, in his full biker uniform. High black motorcycle boots, black shirt and jodhpurs, and his white motorcycle helmet sits on a coffee table beside him. Can I help you, he asks, which I find a little puzzling. I respond, do you know what's going on in this place? What do you mean, he asks. The whole motel is crawling with hookers. Oh, really, he says. I fail to realize that he's being facetious, and then he continues, I think you'll survive. I shake my head no and say, I'm here for a couple weeks with a crew of guys to finish an installation that's way behind schedule. And frankly, we don't need all the distraction. My guys are all gaga now over the girls. Then he asks, what are you boys in town for? When I respond, 
We're here to install a sculpture in front of the new police headquarters. The clouds suddenly part, and his whole manner instantly changes. He jumps up and disappears through the office door behind the front desk. He then returns with the manager, and they both apologize for any inconvenience that has been caused. The manager offers to comp us on all four rooms for the night, then the motorcycle cop throws in a free minibar as well. Now I realize that he is actually the guard for the whole enterprise. Within the first couple of days, it's easy to see how the operation works. Big rig trucks pull into the parking lot, and the girls, who seem to be permanent residents of the motel themselves, service them in their trucks. Then they climb back down, and off goes the 16-wheeler. They also offer their services to nightly residents of the motel, like ourselves, for example. There's no way that the management wants the top brass at the police headquarters to learn about their little operation. All I have to do is to mention that we're working with the assistant chief of police a couple more times, and our rooms and minibar are all comp for our entire stay. The large arc-shaped bronze relief panels we're here to set in the plaza each contain a collage of images and text about the history and character of Dallas. The morning after our arrival, we pull up in our rental van outside the almost-finished headquarters for a meeting with the concrete contractor who has poured the pigmented concrete plaza design. His problems with the concrete have already delayed our trip for over a month, and now we're really up against it to finish up in the two weeks before the opening celebration. It is only now that I learn he hasn't completed the site work prep he told us was completed two weeks ago, and that the concrete depressions that he did pour are too shallow. Now we have to cool our heels while his men grind down all the concrete before we can start, possibly a week's worth of grinding. We'll never finish on time. I angrily confront the owner of the contracting company. You know, I was told two weeks ago that the templates had been pulled and that all the depth of all the depressions had been checked to make sure it was a full one-half inch deep. I was lied to. What the hell? He half-heartedly apologizes, blaming the situation on a miscommunication with his contract coordinator, which is total BS. He offers to put a couple men on to grind down the concrete. Not nearly good enough, I tell him. You had already put me a month behind, and now this. I refuse to be the fall guy when my work isn't done for the unveiling celebration. Either you come up with four men and hire all of my men and pay them, or I'm going to go to the chief right now. He turns, spits on the plaza, and begrudgingly agrees. I've spent a good part of my adult life as a sculptor, down on my hands and knees, grinding away on various materials. So when everybody starts grinding down the concrete in the plaza, sweating under the hot Texas sun, I decide to get away from the dust and noise and explore the city that I researched so thoroughly over the last year, but have never actually seen. There aren't enough tools to go around anyway, so why not? My sightseeing starts with a visit to the creepy sixth floor museum within the former Texas Book Depository on Dealey Plaza. It was from a window on the sixth floor that Lee Harvey Oswald fired the fatal shot that killed JFK. Here you can watch the Zapruder film on a continuous loop and then exit through the gift shop where you can purchase a President and Mrs. Kennedy 140-piece puzzle made from a photo of them taken just before the assassination. In the image, Jacqueline is wearing her pink jacket and matching pillbox hat 
made famous in the assassination film. You can also find a Jacqueline Kennedy silk scarf and a JFK baseball cap and coffee mug. I also discover a 1967 quote from Chief of Police Jesse Carey that we used in our bronze collage. Years after the assassination, the former chief said, There are still times when I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning thinking about Kennedy, Ruby, and Oswald and can't get back to sleep. I suppose it will haunt me until my dying day. From here, I head over to the Museum of Dallas County History and Culture, housed in a massive and magnificent Siena brick building with eight turrets. Given our experiences with the cop and hookers at the Super 6, I'm particularly interested to find out more about the Texas Rangers and an early Dallas hooker named Bella Starr, who's an almost mythical female cowboy heroine. I learned that she started out in early Dallas as both a saloon singer and a hooker, and then became a professional gambler. She typically wore two revolvers, high-top boots, and a Stetson hat with an ostrich plume to complement her tight black jacket, chiffon waists, and velvet skirts. Apparently the Dallas police and even the Texas Rangers were in cahoots with her in one way or another. All this seemed perfectly in keeping with their experiences at the Super Six. It takes three days to grind down all the concrete, and then we begin the installation. As the second week of our work progresses, the whole crew toils feverishly to keep pace, working longer and longer hours each day so that we can complete the project by Friday when we have tickets to fly out. The police sergeant, who is our liaison with the department, feels bad because their chosen contractor has turned out to be such a bust. So our last day which starts off for us at 4 a.m. when we realize that we're going to be working right down to the wire and might miss our plane, he has a nice surprise for us. A motorcycle escort on our ride to the airport. During the trip, we reach speeds of 90 miles an hour in our rental panel van, which feels like it might become airborne with every gust of wind. He also arranges for airport security to hold the plane. So when we arrive in front of the crowded terminal with our motorcycle escort, and five dirty, unkempt, and unshaven working guys climb out and hurry into the terminal. The crowd in front of the entryway looks totally confused. I hear somebody say that we're a Seattle grunge band. As we leave our escort, one of the motorcycle cops takes off his helmet and gives me a big smile and a thumbs up. It's the guard from the Super 6. I think to myself, who knows, maybe the whole department is in cahoots with the motel. One thing is for sure, though, this will be the first and last motorcycle escort that any of us will ever have. When we're in the air with the first round of drinks in hand, I propose a toast to the men. To a job well done, guys. Thanks so much for all your hard work. We never would have made the deadline without each and every one of you. For a second toast, I continue. And thanks to the Super Six for all the free rooms and mini bars. To which one of the guys adds, Yeah, and thanks for all the happy endings that everybody got to enjoy except for the boss. They all laugh heartily as they watch my surprise consternation. As I settle in for the flight, 
I'm feeling pleasantly drunk and a little pensive. I think that it's so easy to see things in black and white, but the world is largely made up of different shades of gray. The slide from white to black can be made up of a series of small, incremental changes, each of which seems innocent enough by itself, but the sum total can lead to a bad end. Honest or crooked, good guy or bad, Hooker or John, I realize how easily I have been corrupted. It just took some free room and board, and I was more than willing to look the other way. I decide I'm going to have to rethink how quickly I judge things in this complicated world, and maybe at the same time, I should reevaluate how strongly I hold on to my core values. Then I drift off to sleep and dream of Bella Starr. The Compulsive Storyteller is written by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kakoma, who has also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. 